Hey, I'm Tremika, and you're listening to Deep Dives with Tremika Benjamin. And for our new listeners, this is a podcast that brings you straight talk about what's truly moving the higher education industry forward. And I'm really excited to have Dr. Michael Bassin on Deep Dives today. He's the president of Rockland Community College in New York, and I've asked him to come on the show to talk about how he is defining the student experience at RCC. So he's going to share some of the mistakes he's made, some of his super wins, and also the nuts and bolts on how he pulls his teams together, especially this team that he's pulled together called the Student Success Team. And as you listen to this show and you like it, which I'm sure you will, simply visit www.deepdivestb.com to learn more. Now let's dive in with Dr. Bastin. Thank you so much, Dr. Bassin, for being on the show. And before I go too far, do you mind if I call you Mike? Not at all, and I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you so much. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about the journey that a lot of our students in community colleges take to get to that very, very first day of class. And I'm going to start with a little bit of a statistic. So AACC have recently reported that about 62% of our students are also employed in a job while they're going to school full-time. So for me, that paints a pretty colorful picture about the struggles that they're dealing with in terms of balance. How do you deal with school, full-time, family possibly, working? How do you deal with it all? So before we go too far into this, I want to first ask you, what role do you think that community colleges play to support them and provide resources to make sure that they can even go to school? Well, the fact is so many of them have to do so many things because they are not making a living or family supported wage. And so that's why many of them have multiple jobs and many of them are seeming like they're on the treadmill of life. And now to add education as another piece of this can be overwhelming, except that there is a dividend that is connected to their going to education. And ultimately, the goal is not to to have to do three, four jobs at a time. And if you can get an educational credential and actually a pathway into a meaningful job opportunity, then you can let go of some of those other jobs. You can have that family. You can do the things that you want to do. So for so many students that make the choice to come to college, they understand what's at stake. They understand that if they can get that educational opportunity and they can get into that good job, that it can actually be a game changer for them. And so part of our responsibility as educational institutions is to recognize the many competing factors that students have and at the same time support them to make the kind of choices that will get them to where they ultimately need to be. So when you say support them, to me that sounds like, you know, support whether it's mental health, support whether it's resources, because a lot of times people struggle in school because they're hungry. So whether it's food availability, whether it's just the structure of how we provide advising services. So when you say that you provide the services for them, what do you mean? Well, from my perspective as the president of a Rockland Community College is this idea of providing our students with a student support or success team. And in our context, when we built out our new approach to education through this college, we said that every student should have a student success team. On their student success team is the dean of the school that they're in. 
mm-hmm. the program director that is directing their program, a connection counselor who is a licensed mental health professional who has connections with the county resources and nonprofits in the community so that that student can get wraparound support services, that they would have a success coach that would be giving them career and academic advisement support, that they would have peers that would ultimately be other students who have been a little further than they are that can encourage them, motivate them, and move them forward, that they would have a dedicated financial aid person so that somebody really knew the full nature of the financial resources and challenges, and that they would also have somebody on that team that could actually help them navigate all of the co-curricular opportunities that would be available for them to get the experiential learning that they need to actually be competitive. So on our student success team, now when they open up their webpage, They will see the members of their success team, how to contact them. They'll be able to see the faculty members that they're going to be working with over the course of the semester. Many of our students now only have a professional student success coach, but also a faculty advisor in many instances. So for us, we wanted to make sure that the services are wrapped around the students and that they become inescapable. And so that we know what's going on with them because we're monitoring their progress and not waiting until something goes wrong, but we're watching them as they go through and giving them just-in-time interventions and not just-in-case interventions. How did you provide that service before? And I'm asking this to lead you into (laughs) talking. We didn't provide that service before, (laughs) which is why we provide it now. Our strategy prior to me coming uh, to the institution and and really getting our our college to really think this way was good luck. That was the strategy. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you you mean? You made it to orientation, and for this next two hours, we're going to tell you everything that you'll forget and expect you to remember it so that if anything happens to you while you're here, that's your problem. And oh, by the way, good luck. (laughs) And oh, by the way, I already told you when I gave you that. When you came the first day and you sat down with me for two hours and I gave you all the stuff you won't remember in case anything happened to you because we had what we called, and I know this doesn't happen in anybody else's college. No, nobody. But but we had what we called the Rockland Shuffle. So we just moved you from one office to the next office, upstairs, downstairs, with the common refrain, well, we don't do that here, you got to go there. We don't do that here, you got to go there. Well, didn't they tell you about this? Because you can't do... Like, when people feel like they're getting the runaround, they ultimately run out. And so, (laughs) what we've decided to say is that instead of people running all over the place... When they already have lots of competing obligations and situations and circumstances, I wanted my faculty and staff to recognize the tremendous amount of courage it takes to commit yourself, to lift yourself up above your circumstances to make a better life for Mm. yourself through education. And because we recognize the courage in the students, we are all committed to helping them. It's interesting you say that. So you wanted them to recognize the courage that it takes for a student to walk through that door saying, I want to change my current situation. So before I come back, because we're coming right back to exactly what we were discussing in terms of your success team. But before I do that, how did you uncover the gaps? Because I will tell you that, you know, brand new president, um, this this doesn't happen to anybody else, but I'm sure that this has happened to everybody else. <laughs> okay. Brand new president, they 
take this institution on and they want an understanding of what's happening. How do we onboard our students and how do we keep them? And they have all of their vice presidents in a room and they all say, well, we do a great job. Don't worry that the enrollment's down. Just a little bit. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. The people, the students come in, they just don't follow the rules right. Mm-hmm. Because it's never us. It's always them. Always, always, always. You know, this institution would work extraordinarily well if it wasn't for those students. I know. Those students. <laughs> <laughs> so how what did you do to uncover these gaps? How what type of work did you do so that you could find the gaps in how you provided the service bef- in order for you to even come up with this concept of the student success team? Two words, secret shoppers. <laughs> <laughs> so we literally ran through our enrollment processes four different composite students who navigated the systems or were unable to navigate the (laughs) systems, who made the telephone calls or the web visits to broken links or telephone calls that were never answered. We were able to document through these experiences all of the many ways that we tell students good luck and all of the many opportunities that they could just go in a different direction and leave us. And what I like about uh, the the fact that you did this exercise is because it takes a lot of courage. I mean, no one wants to know that. Who wants to know these gaps? You know, the fact that people have these gaps and have these opportunities where the student falls out of the funnel or they fall out of this process to get them onboarded or retained, people know those things are out there ambiguously, but addressing it and shining a big old bright light on it sometimes stings. So I commend you for doing it. Because of that, you were able to have the conversations of what do these wraparound services look like from a multidisciplinary team to make sure that a student is successful. Now, if we walk this journey, you did the secret student, you shared with faculty and staff, this is what we found, this is where we're trying to go. We also challenged them to try to apply. We also challenged them to go through the links. What we did oftentimes, well, we asked our faculty and staff by tabletop exercises how to actually advise, self-advise, to how to actually complete your FAFSA. We asked people to do the things we're asking students to do (laughs) so that they can see how challenging it is. Many of these people have PhDs. Many of these people have great big degrees. Wonderful. Take our placement test. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Go deal with financial aid verification. Yes. Stand online. (laughs) So I think that, you know, what we tried to do in all of these instances humanize the student experience. Do not simply provide data for data's sake. Bring the voices of the people that are being impacted by the decisions that we are making. And we think we're making it for them and not realize when we're making it to them. Get people to actually get their fingernails dirty with the reality that the systems and the structures that we have set up that we thought were beneficial are actually barriers to people who are probably economically the most fragile, right? but have so much promise, and one little thing could knock them out of the opportunity to move forward here. So in your reality, you had, we are going to build wraparound services for these students. And the end goal was to develop this concept of the student success team. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned that you engaged the entire college community. How did you build the teams? How did you decide who was going to be on the teams to propose to you, this is what I'd like to have as a success team? Well, let me say I failed first 
The first thing I did was I failed. I put a vice president in charge of the process of trying to redesign the student experience. Bad idea. You know, they got those <laughs> tight jeans, bad idea jeans. Yeah. That was a bad idea jeans. <laughs> like, the bad idea. <laughs> what I needed to understand and what, what I understood was that we had to define the student experience in a way that everybody could understand when we talk about the student experience, what we are talking about. Right. Uh, and so in taking the, as a theoretical framework, the lost momentum framework. So you might have seen that in Completion by Design. That lost momentum framework, this idea that you have to look at how you get or lose students at the point of connection. All of those activities from the time they're interested to the time they apply to the entry phase when they are now not just an applicant, but they're an admitted student, what that first year experience looks like and, and what should we expect at the end of that first year experience. And then that third phase is progress. So how are we monitoring them and supporting them and getting them through gateway courses and into programs of study that ultimately lead them to that final phase, which is transition, it's completion. It's are they now going into the world of work? Are they now transitioning into a four-year institution in the programs of study where they've not accumulated excess credits that are not going to be aidable financially in the next school. Right. Are they actually able to get credentials of value beyond this educational experience? Are there opportunities in the region? Is there even a need for what you're offering? So all of those sorts of things, we then looked at that as the student experience and then organized work groups with folks with various expertise, not just from academic affairs, not just from student affairs, but all throughout the campus, representation in each of these groups of those four categories. So before we go further, you've mobilized all of these work groups. What were the, the ground rules? What were the tickets to play? Like, did you have like a framework of this is what needs to be the outcomes from these? We, as a, a as a presidential cabinet, and that wasn't just the executive team, but I mean, like, we had a cross-section of people from around the campus, about 40 leaders, sitting and really, after talking for hours with different campus stakeholders, what are the big goals of the college? What are the things about the student experience specifically we want to have as our big goals? And then breaking up into those four working groups to actually determine how our work in this group can help accomplish those goals. And then we actually also created a fifth group. And our fifth group is an interesting group because that was the communications group. That group checked feasibility. Is this a financially viable recommendation? It's the kick the tires group. Yeah, is this yeah. the group? It's like your this quality, your assurance. You need a group that's going to say, yeah, that's great and wonderful. It can't be done so that we're not wasting time, energy and resources on things that are really not viable alternatives at this point. So we, over time, had about 75 people throughout the campus. Wow. Different departments. In fact, all of this, the most senior people were not on these working groups. We wanted this to be an organic grassroots effort. We used the work of AACC Pathways, Guided Pathways rubrics, the scale of adoption tools that come from the Community College Research Center. So we had frameworks. We had roadmaps. 
but we gave the people the power to do all of the focus groups, to do all of the research, to mine our own data, to talk to external partners and stakeholders so that when we made recommendations, we were able to make those recommendations in ways that actually we felt were authentic to who we were becoming. I never said to the campus, we need to organize in academic schools. The campus leaders said, we want to have schools. I never said the schools have to be separated by icons or colors. They made those determinations. I never said which academic programs had to be assigned to which schools. They decided that. I never said how much we were going to allocate in terms of certain financial resources to put these schools together or what the composition of the success team was. All of those folks made recommendations to the executive team and the executive team was able to evaluate and assess and to get financed a lot of those approaches that the people on the ground came up with. So in my case, I have to give much of the credit to the faculty, to the staff, to the people on the ground that said, If we're really going to focus on that student experience, we want our students to have the best possible experience. And so it wasn't then my thing. It was their thing. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm not the sage on the stage. I'm just the guide on the side. So, (laughs) and how, how long, how long did that take? Of course, every institution is different. But if you had to say from the moment that you started the secret student experience and realized, you know, something's got to change, guys all the way through to the point where we're able to have this conversation. I know that you have a lot of work that's coming and launching in fall of this year, mm-hmm. fall of 2020. So how do you, how long would you estimate that that took? The first year was all about case making. The first year was all about understanding who we are, our institutional identity. The first year was the secret shopper. The first year was looking at data. The first year was looking at resources. The first year was getting folks to understand, listen, we're not where we need to be and we're not where we could be. We've got to make some decisions. And we did that in the first year. It's over the last two years that we have really built out the teams, come up with the plans. You know, we even got a space planner in here to help us figure out how we're going to reallocate existing space to create contiguous spaces for the schools. We applied for and received our Title V grant, which is for Hispanic-serving institutions. And those resources are in furtherance of the school model so that we could build out these opportunities to really hardwire and embed support for students. One of the things that I've heard you talk about a lot is that when you first when you first took on this office as president of Rockland Community College, the first thing that you were not going to do is race out and buy a whole bunch of technology to try to solve this problem. Um, I remember when we first met, you said, let me tell you what I'm not going to do, and then I'll tell you how I'm going to figure out what's going to be done. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that, because a lot of times there's a false sense of hope in slapping technology on top of a problem, when in reality, that problem was created because processes are broken and these hard gaps weren't identified. How did you usher your way through and resist that temptation of immediately going out and buying new software? It's interesting. You know, there are some that if you put a hammer in their hand, because they have the hammer, everything will be a nail. And they'll just hit, 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 hit. <laughs> so for some people, if you put technology and you tell them technology is the, the solution to all your problems, they'll try to attack or apply technology to everything. Quite frankly, 
this is a human enterprise and technology is to assist us but not to replace us and if we're not mindful of the fact that more likely than not if we can get the human reactions and relationships better then the technology can assist us. If if we can learn how to talk to one another and understand a common language, then that would make more of a difference than an automatic phone tree. How many people go into CVS or Rite Aid or any of these places and long for the day when you actually had somebody at the cash register <laughs> versus having to go and do it yourself and figure out for the next 10 minutes of why this thing won't work for me. Well, one of the things, when I go to Home Depot, I like to talk to the person at the cash register to say, what do you what do you think of this quality of paint? Have you, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Do you like this paint? And now I don't. Now I have to just, you know, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> exactly. And, good and luck. I, I have made the case all around the country that good luck is not a strategy for student success. <laughs> it, it is not... You know, it may be a it may be a slogan for Las Vegas, but it's not a strategy for student success. <laughs> we cannot discount the human factor, uh, and we can also not, for those who then become change averse, think that the way we've always done things is going to be appropriate today. Yep, because we are finally in an educational. A time frame where you have multiple generations of learners on campus. Now more than ever before in the history of education, have there been such a robust diversity of age groups within right. the educational context. So you have some digital natives. You have the generational Z people. You have all these folks that they have had a tablet in their hand since they were one. And so you come up here and bring your acetate. You, they're looking at you like you're crazy. crazy. Like, what is an acetate? And if you understand what an acetate is as you listen to this podcast I'm a little concerned maybe you might also be worried about mimeographs <laughs> you know and you're smelling carbon papers the, the, the reality is uh, we have to understand the importance of technology as a tool to assist us but assist us in the thinking, not do the thinking for us. Exactly. And especially when you bring it back to this pathway of students getting this experience on the journey to get into the very first day of class. Mm -hmm. And those students, to your point, that are multiple generations, they're coming onto this campus or either they're going online and filling out a request for information form scared. They're mm -hmm. scared, Mike. Yes. They don't know whether or not they're going to get in. They don't understand what the admissions process is. They don't know how they're going to pay for it. They don't know if they're smart enough. They're questioning themselves Five thousand times more than the rest of the world is in terms of whether or not they can go to this school. And then they're met with barrier after barrier after barrier. You know what I'm saying? You think about it. If you are dropped off in any major city with a very large scale transportation system and you are just dropped off and they give you a subway map and they say, good luck, whether you're in New York City, D.C., Chicago, wherever. And they say, well, you know, get to Center Street. They don't tell you where Center Street is. They just drop you off at the subway station and say, good luck. Here's your map. Figure it out. Yep. You know, how would you feel? <laughs> you probably would feel a little anxious, a little lost, and want to grab your phone and look for an app and say, where do I go from here? But in fact, <laughs> that is unfortunately what higher education has done for so long to so many at their peril. Right. And what we're saying is that we should translate the, our language into language that others can understand. And we should bring them into an experience that allows them to feel like they 
they should not have to learn sort of through the pledging process of applying and enrolling <laughs> that this shouldn't be college. Right. Like right. you shouldn't have to worry about doing a dissertation or how you get to the first day of school. Like right. that is not appropriate. I mean, I think that we make it so hard for them to get in and so easy for them to get out. Yep. So either they just don't come no more or they send you a little note, I can't come in like, like, so we've got to figure out why it is okay for us to make them go through an Olympic event of momentous importance on the front end. And then if they don't stay, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, hopefully you'll come back one day. Good luck. So one of the things that I think is really interesting, too, is that you've taken your your journey to adopt the Pathways model and used it as the tool to actually build an infrastructure and a a new philosophy of how you deliver your student experience. And I'm saying this in this exact way. I was careful of how I said it because a lot of institutions use Pathways as its destination because they want to implement Pathways. But what you've done is you've used this model, this journey to adopt this model as the opportunity to build an experience. The Pathways model and, and moving to this school's environment is just the tool and the journey that it took for you to get to a place of having your institution define how they wanted the student experience to be. Yes. And in fact, we're going to use that same approach in multiple contexts. For example, right now we have focused heavily on the student experience. We will ultimately focus on the employee experience. And in the employee experience, we're going to look at connection, entry, progress, and when when our employees transition. Wow. Either they're retiring or they are going to be going to another institution to work. So we believe that the framework of experience design is not just applicable to the student experience. It's applicable to the employee experience. It's applicable to the classroom experience. Right. So connection. Well, when the students register for the course. Entry. What does the first couple of weeks look like? Progress. How are we making sure the students are making progress in that given course? Completion. How are we making sure that this course is connecting to the next course that they're going to transition into? So we take that framework and use it in multiple contexts. And we find that even with the equity conversation, you know, what are those questions that we are going to use from an equity lens perspective in terms of the connection, in terms of the entry, in terms of the progress, in terms of the transition. So from my perspective, I think that this organizing way of looking at the way in which we create experiences will be very important. There is a reason why people come back over and over again to Disney World. And it is an expensive proposition, and yet people come (laughs) back and and back and back because they create an experience. From the time you get to the front gate and you see the flowers with Mickey in the front to the jamboree band show walking down the block, everything is an experience. And I think that our students will be happier, our faculty will be happier, our staff will be happier if educational institutions really engage in experience design in all of these elements, it is important because the reason why we have the rise in the convenience economy right now is because companies recognize that there is an advantage to be gained by creating an experience that makes hassle less prevalent 
and dealing with whatever the enterprise. That is why if you want to go to McDonald's and you do not have to do much, but you can call Uber and Uber will bring your McDonald's. McDonald's. And sometimes you'll go into McDonald's and you won't go up to the counter because as soon as you walk in the door, there is an iPad and you can order, you can pay, you can tap your card because these corporations are thinking about the user experience. And what we need to do in higher education, particularly to go back to your initial question about reducing barriers, is we need to be thinking about the experience and what are our true intended results from the experiences that we are currently engaging in for students, for staff, for faculty, and others. So my final question is what's next? Okay, so you are in the throes of implementing this redesign of your student experience and and redesigning the processes of onboarding for Rockland Community College. So what's next? When is it going to officially launch? When are we going to start to see some of the changes at RCC? What's next? April 2020 begins the registration process within the new context of the school system. The schools launch in the fall of 2020. So all of our recruitment brochures and materials now are being prepared within the context of our five schools. Students that come in and they get their acceptance letter, they'll get a link to do their career interest inventory so that we can make sure even before they sign up for one course that they understand what their skills, what their interests, what their talents, what their time commitment and availability looks like so that they can be steered into the right school and that they can begin their exploratory journey in that first year so that they can find a program of study that leads them to the goals that they have for themselves. So for us, we really start in earnest in April of 2020. The new version of our website will be up and you will be able to see the different schools on the website prominently displayed. And when the students come, we've even organized all of our business processes around the school. So we are in a process of converting to another sort of student information system. And so our students will be enrolled in the schools. schools. Our, Our financials are organized by schools. We have shared with you that our physical buildings are being configured by schools. So in the fall of 2020, the students will actually have all of their, many of their classes in the same area where that school School is. is the hub. So we are literally... In this fall 2020, transforming every aspect of who we are. Our students will be introduced to their student success teams in this fall. We've already hired academic advisors uh, that are going to be embedded in the schools. We already have hired our deans. We already have our program directors all in place. So all of that infrastructure has already been built. As early as April 2020, we are piloting some of our peer mentorship programs in the spring, this spring. So you will see uh, the 1.0 version of the new RCC in the fall of 2020. This is so exciting. Thank you so much, Dr. Bassin, for this time. Excuse me, Mike. Thank you so much, Mike, for this time. And I'm so excited to see what's to come in the upcoming months. So thank you so much for being on the show. Great to be with you. And I really appreciate that you're doing this kind of work because we need to be able to take the deep dives. We really need to be able to hear from our colleagues, our brothers and sisters in this profession. I think this is going to be a meaningful difference for all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. 
You can find more episodes at www.deepdivestv.com or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast subscription service. Until next time.